Looking to start your own website? The first thing you need is a domain name, and the best place to get one is at GoDaddy.com. With your domain registration, you'll get hosting, a free blog, complete email, and much more. Plus, as a MuggleCast listener, enter code RON, that's R-O-N when you check out, and get your .com domain name for just $7.49 a year. Get your piece of the internet at GoDaddy.com. This is Professor McGonagall welcoming you to all to MuggleCast, hoping you enjoyed. Dobby, Dobby, come here. Yeah, Dobby. Yes, well, I'd just like to say how very pleased I am to introduce MuggleCast to all of you. Thank you. Thank you. Because the Crookshanks versus Scabbers battles have begun, this is MuggleCast, episode 192, for February the 18th, 2010. Welcome everyone to episode 192. We're approaching, I was doing the math the other day, and it looks like we're going to be hitting episode 200 in late May or early June, or maybe mid-June, I can't remember, but it's very exciting. 200 episodes. Unbelievable. <laughs> so, As you think back on all that transcript work for 200 episodes. <laughs> That's true, very true. Uh, do you think we'll get a trailer before that? Oh, I hope so. Oh, yeah. Geez, I hope so. <laughs> <laughs> but um, yeah, I was, I was like, there's not going to be anything big unless they release a trailer around that time. But we'll have to make sure episode 200 is one big bonanza. So, no. what you're saying, Andrew, is that we're going to London? <laughs> I yes, uh, sure. Because no. we did London. You know, we were for the first for the first hundred. Right, right, yeah, The episode 100 was in London for the release of uh, Deathly Hollows. That worked out perfectly. It did. Nothing really can top did. that, I don't think. No. But anyway, first we need to get through eight more episodes, including this one. There's There hasn't been much news, but we got plenty of emails to go through, and of course, chapter by chapter, Prisoner of Azkaban, and all that good other stuff that you've come to know and love. I'm Andrew Sims. I'm Eric Skull. I'm Micah Tannebel. And I'm Nick Myers. Micah, what's in the news this week? It's a Lego news episode, isn't it? It is a Lego news episode. There there hasn't been much going on, as you mentioned, and uh, I figured we'd just take a little bit of time here to talk about Lego Harry Potter, years one to four. Mm-hmm. And the question I wanted to pose, because we've gotten a lot of screenshots lately, uh, the producer of the game just recently did another interview, and actually today the cover art for the game was officially released. Do you guys think this is shaping up to be the best Potter video game? <laughs> That's a bold statement. 
I mean, there have been so many classics in the past. There have not been. <laughs> <laughs> wow. It's certainly shaping up to be the funnest Harry Potter game, for sure. Yeah, yeah. There's a lot, and I know we say this for all the EA games, they do the games for each film, but they seem to really be putting a lot of care in this, and all the videos look great. I was a big fan of the original Lego Harry Potter, um, and this one looks great, too. So, yeah, I, I I think it could be one of the best ones. Eric, I know you're a big Lego video game fan. Yeah, yeah, definitely. I'm 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 a fan of it. Um, everything I've been reading about the Lego Harry Potter years one through four game just seems really awesome. And of course, this uh, this cover art just makes it look even cooler. Yeah, it's um, really well done. It definitely wins uh, the cover art competition for me. For uh, you know, compared <laughs> to other Harry Potter video games, and yeah, I think it's going to be the Lego games have a sort of humor to them that just works really well in a lot of ways, and it's going to work just as well with early uh harry potter i think i think it'll be a great game and yeah. the fact that the fact that they've had practice with you know two renditions of the star wars uh two renditions of indiana jones and batman and a few others uh that are in the works it's just it's great that they they waited a little while to get to harry potter but the lego harry potter set is a you know a thriving uh area of the of lego's company and so it's great to see that they uh you know with ty games uh have worked on this this rendition yeah it seems like a lot more care has been put into these uh this game uh and and i don't mean to knock the games that have come from electronic arts because they did an amazing job with hogwarts and the surrounding areas but i think the biggest problem but it ends there yeah the biggest (laughs) problem people have had with the games is the actual gameplay and they're not being enough to do as somebody's dog points out sorry uh (laughs) that they they agree they no, your dog agrees which is you know it's that's a very good thing and no I, i just i'm hoping that although this seems in practice like a more uh child like game, you know, meaning that is geared more for younger people, you know, our age group may be able to enjoy it more than the EA games because I th- actually thought that as much as the EA games look like more adult games, they were actually geared more towards children. Yeah. And I mean, look where we are in terms of technology these days, and I think this game is going to look beautiful on high def televisions. And especially with systems like the PS3 and the Xbox 360, I mean, I'm looking forward to just the 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 quality, the graphic quality, on these as well. Yeah, yeah. and like you were saying about gameplay too. I mean, Order of the Phoenix, for instance, you know, had a great roaming Hogwarts that we, you know, read the interviews months before the game came out, and we were like, oh wow, you know, fully immersive Hogwarts. But <laughs> yeah. pretty much, I mean, and it did. It was pretty big uh, for an environment, but you really couldn't do anything. you know with it and this lego game is promising to like you can rebuild parts of hogwarts and you know destroy them and all that stuff and that just sounds totally awesome so it you know no crevice in the game will go like untouched i have a Mm -hmm. uh ps3 that i bought primarily for the blu-ray capabilities and this will probably be the first video game that i buy for it having had the ps3 for close to two years now because <laughs> you know it's a game that actually looks worth it and I, i'm just really excited for the for the for the quality the visual quality that you're going to get the trailer i mean it's just very animated it just looks great it looks great yeah the detail as as i said is it's just amazing and i like how uh the producer pointed out that if you're in year one, you're not able to access everything around the castle. Certain parts of it are locked off or, or even other areas that they've developed, not just Hogwarts specifically. But 
Uh, and also that you f- need to actually travel from one place to another. It's not going to be like EA where you get these cutscenes and all of a sudden you end up somewhere else. You have to work your way through the years. Not only yeah. that, but the fact the characters can grow throughout the game and you're not given all the spells at the start to practice with and then used throughout like you are with EA games. With this one, you're learning and growing throughout the years. I think that's fantastic. Yeah, that is definitely cool. We got some Twitter. We got some feedback from you guys via Twitter. We asked you on our Twitter Twitter account at twitter.com/mugglecast. We asked, "Do you think that the uh, this game is turning out to be the best Harry Potter video game?" APGB said, "I love the fact you'll be able to play as over 100 unlockable characters, even Fang. That's really cool. That's amazing. That's, that's been a staple of the Lego games, though. Play like." play as literally that many characters like especially like star wars everyone every character even like non-play characters they call them uh like guards and uh all sorts of you know soldiers that are in the background of certain cutscenes and levels are all programs so you can end up playing as them especially in free play mode but you know playing as fang and everything and each of the characters have their own like skill set especially yeah. you know in, in in Indiana Jones in particular um and they there was an article where they said you know they're going to reference something similar to that where each each of these 100 characters are going to have you know different uh, a different you know set of uh skills and abilities you know even if it's just jumping higher uh that that's going to help you choose you know which character you're going to be roaming right. Hogwarts right and there was a video demonstration the other day of how they're designing Quidditch, and it's that same exact thing, where Harry is the best person to use for, for flying around on brooms. And they demonstrated how Ron and Hermione have sort of, they struggle with controlling their brooms and climbing aboard it. So that's the kind of detail that I think we're all looking forward to. Oh, yeah. Um, Fliz Loves Khan writes, The game looks excellent. I love the way I can revisit the books in gaming format with the, adri- with the added bonus of the Lego theme. Prude Hivil writes, The previews look good, but do you think that they will have two games for the seventh book because the movie is in two parts? Uh, I don't think so, personally. I think they'll do a five to seven one yeah. Yeah. as well. I mean, for me personally, one of my problems with the EA games is that the storytelling is actually quite short, and the game doesn't last very long. It's only the mini quests and adventures that pad it out. And I think one of the things that's going to be good about this LEGO game is that it encompasses four whole years, and they can add a lot more um, to the length of the game. Well, also, a a possible LEGO Harry Potter years five through seven would, I think, would directly ride on how well years one through four do. Yeah. Like, you know, in terms of sales and t- in terms of reviews, you know, if it gets great reviews and great sales, they'll definitely go for five through seven. And it, so let's it hope was, it does well. It was really clever and, you know, I almost want to say insightful that they, they stopped, you know, with years one through four that they, they focused on essentially half the series. Um, right. Because, I mean, after... Uh, these games, what I want to say is these games have this um, level selection and main menu kind of world in and of itself. Um, be it this, like in Star Wars, it was the Cantina, and in uh, Indiana Jones, it was Cambridge, um, where you just you can walk around, and that has its own gameplay elements as well. And thinking about years one through four, you know, I, I can't I can't wait. And what you said about certain parts of Hogwarts being locked off, um, you know, as a level select area, there's no better place than Hogwarts. But years five through seven, uh, especially you know seven. Uh, it takes place, you know, really far away from Hogwarts, so they're going to have to reevaluate how they do that for that 
that um, section of the gaming, you know, because a lot of the books start taking place elsewhere um, in important areas that we're going to want to play in, but uh, they can revisit, you know, they can cross that bridge when they come to it, essentially, because um, they just have years one through four, and it's they're all set at Hogwarts. And they're all going to be lots of fun. Maritza Cardona writes, The visuals seem great, and the comedic moments actually made me smile. This one looks better than the first HP games released. Uh, prior, I guess she means. Absolutely, yeah. I think we all touched on that. Yeah. That we agree this is better than EA. Finally, Andrew NH writes, I think they are awesome. So much more like the books, and I hope it's an open world like the other Lego Harry Potter, or like the other Lego games. And it'll be so fun. So there you go. Some feedback from those of you who follow us on Twitter at twitter.com slash MuggleCast. Thanks for the feedback. Another news, Micah? Uh, well, I just wanted to mention, since we're on the topic of video games, didn't no. EA... No. I said onward. <laughs> onward. Oh. Yeah, yeah. No, this no, is important, ahead. though, for the people right. who love the boring EA games that <laughs> Electronic Ouch. Arts announced that... Uh, there's going to be a Harry Potter title that's going to be released this fall. And right. I'm just kind of wondering, though, are they going to break the game up in two? Because that would just I be bad. I think so. <laughs> they don't have a choice, I guess, because they use so many cutscenes from the movies. And they're yeah. very movie-based as opposed to book-based. But yeah, I can't see the sales for that video game doing very well. Well, I think that's the thing. Like, if if they don't release a video game, a Harry Potter title this year, th- th- they would have to re- wait for part two. They can't release an entire video game for parts one and part two this fall because it would spoil the second half of the movie. So, you know, they got it. I I think they see it as a money making opportunity. Even though I officially have lost faith in EA's Harry Potter video games. I mean, I know they care so much, and they're such a good team of people. We've met them and interviewed them. They're so nice. But I guess the Harry Potter games just aren't met, met, meant to be built how they're building them, because they really don't work. No, they don't. I think it, they should have developed them more as a role-playing game, uh, kind of similar to... A Legend of Zelda, where you have yeah. that free roaming ability. I mean, you do, but it's it's still restricted. Like if you play the these past video games, you know, Order of the Phoenix, Half Blood Prince, you can move around Hogwarts and you can kind of go to the, the the outlying grounds, but you know, you can't get into Hogsmeade, you can't go to other places and, and, and travel around, you know, Diagon Alley or uh, I don't know pick a place but the the point is that they really screwed up i think not in their design because again i think what they did with hogwarts was unbelievable and how they created it in the video game sense but i think just the gameplay aspect of it failed so miserably yeah on the other hand maybe ea could surprise us and release a entirely new game like a new Quidditch game, that would be good. Quidditch World Cup, that was a good game. Agreed. Yeah. And it was totally and that was that seemed to have the least, uh, you know, direct influence from a movie or anything. I mean, they basically took Joe's World right. and they fleshed it out. Playing right. that game in, in Tokyo, for instance, is just, yeah. it's a beautiful stadium and you get to play it yeah. at like sunset. Just yeah. amazing visuals, great gameplay um, all around, you know, and, and it and it didn't, it wasn't an easy fix. You know, you had to go around and, and play as all the different, you know, teams and, uh, win the world cup with them so it was it was yeah. it was long playing you know it was just a really yep. smart idea it was fun so maybe they'll do a new unique idea like that but who knows we'll just have to wait and see even though my my money's still on 
Deathly Hallows Part 1, the video game being released. <laughs> Run through the forest, press A, press A, <laughs> zoom around that tree. Oh, so wrapping up the LEGO news, uh, there was a, a press release last week that six new LEGO Harry Potter construction sets and a LEGO Harry Potter board game are going to be released uh, later on this year in the fall. Yeah. Excited? Um, I was. I've always been a fan of the Lego construction. Hey, don't laugh. This is serious. I've always <laughs> been a uh, fan of the Lego construction sets, and uh, th- you know they tend to be kind of expensive, so I may not buy one. But th- th- they're fun. Did you see the video though? Huh? Oh, of the board game. The, it doesn't even look anything like. Yeah. Anything related to this? The series? board game they're building does not look good, but the construction sets look cool. Hmm. <laughs> <laughs> And I got to say, those um, those old Harry, you know, they 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 had they had made a castle, you know, close to ten years ago now, uh, as a construction set, and that thing is worth a lot of money now. Is it those things? If you have an original, yeah, my dad bought one and sold it on eBay for like three hundred dollars. Wow. <laughs> yeah. So I was like, Dad, why didn't you give it to me? He's like, Quiet, son. Back to the cupboard. <laughs> but I, yeah, I'm looking. I, is anyone else excited for these construction sets? Yeah. No. Yeah. <laughs> that was a nice. <laughs> well, I mean, like, and it, and it looks like the the the, the burrow and stuff. They're getting, you know, they're creative again. Like, you know, it's not just the graveyard set where it's like, you know, maybe a few characters or so, but yeah, it's pr- mostly nothing. And you know, it's probably difficult to come up with these construction sets, you know, because there, I mean, there are so many places in Harry's world, but they're so huge, like the Ministry of Magic. You just don't want to not do them justice. But yeah, I, I think they got their little creative edge back. Right. Right. Anything else in the news, Micah? No, that is it. Lego news. Well, we should also say happy birthday to Emerson Sparts, the webmaster and founder of MuggleNet. He turns 23. He turned 23 on February 17th, so happy birthday to him. Happy birthday, Emerson. Sorry, I don't have a song prepared. I just Yeah, just I was waiting for that. something <laughs> to, uh, <laughs> to play there. <laughs> no, but We could all sing if we want, but... I would advise. Happy birthday to you. To you. Okay. Well, um, before we get to Muggle Mail this week, we have a couple of emails about that JK that that negative J.K. Rowling email that we read on the show last week. We got a lot of feedback, but we just have two emails here. Um, Nick, do you want to read the first one from Brittany? We sure. Wanna- uh, this is from Brittany, who's fourteen and from Ohio, and she writes. After listening to Anna's letter last episode, which was highly critical, I feel I must disagree with her strongly on one point in particular. She says Harry Harry Potter is nothing more than a staggeringly popular book for children. Well, then, how did it get so popular? When she was reading the series, did she understand the emotional depths, powerful themes and meaningful morals in it? Or did she just read it looking for nothing but pleasure, pleasure reading and taking in no knowledge whatsoever? This book is not popular because it is merely an enjoyable children's book. Incidentally, it is not just for children either. It is popular because of the themes of love, grief and trust. Can you get that in a video game? I encourage readers of Harry Potter to look deeper, as the muggle casters have always done so well, and not judge based on popularity. I actually do think that's one of the things that's harmed Harry Potter. You know, outsiders outsiders look at Harry Potter and say, oh, it's just popular because it's popular. You know, it's just in right now. It's sort of the thing. But, as Brittany 
brings up, you know, how did it get so popular? And, and it was because of how well written these books are. It, it wasn't, it, I really don't think it was just some sort of like trend. You know, people genuinely enjoy the books. Yeah. Yeah. The world in the books is just, is unmatched. Really, it is. And, and as we, as we go through, I know my chapter of chapter by chapter this week, we'll just see how crafty, you know, Joe was in these, you know, early Harry Potter novels and establishing just how deep her world is. And the characters are just really relatable and yeah. completely. It's unfair to cheapen the series yeah. as a fad, I think. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, do that with Twilight if you want. Um, I might agree with you. But. I don't think that we spent 192 episodes on nothing either. That that's the other side of it. I mean, yeah. there there have been shows that we've really gotten deep into things, and one of them would be the politics show that we spent just I think close to two hours discussing. You know the the. Um, the, the politics. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I didn't I didn't know what other word to use, but I mean, we really did. You know spend a lot of time discussing that and we've broken down characters we've had analysis of a lot of them that devoted shows just to certain characters so i i don't think that it's a child's book I, I don't think you could do that with uh you know the mother goose stories where you know you can break down characters to the depth that we've done or you know look at the symbolism in those stories uh, as much as you can with a series like this yeah i think you're right there's no way we could do a podcast like Micah said at the beginning of that for 192 episodes. Like, there's just no, there's no other book series that I know of. Maybe Lord of the Rings, although I've never read it. Well, let's move on now to Muggle Mail. The first email comes from Aaron, 19 of Sydney, Australia. He says, "I'm up to the bit where you guys are talking about the Weasleys' winnings and their trip in episode 191." I think it was not a case of money mismanagement, and I don't think they should be penalized for spending it the way they did. The Weasleys have lived like this forever, and they're comfortable with it. They don't want any Malfoy mansion. The borough is their mansion. They are proud of who they are. Anyway, who says investing money to get to get more money is wise? I think spending the money on a family trip would have brought them much more joy than any amount of money, not to mention all the memories they now have. It's a good point. Mm-hmm. It, 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 are these the same people that wrote in about how the Weasleys were mismanaging their money? Now all of a sudden we we criticize them, and and these same people are writing back to uh, to criticize us. I mean, I know the biggest thing we left out when we discussed it uh, on our last show was that uh, they were going to visit Bill, and that was their primary reason for the trip. Yeah, and you're all kind of harsh last episode. <laughs> well, what's your opinion of it? <laughs> they Nick? should just invest in banks, and I think that's was the conclusion. Um, I it's the last time they all got to spend time together as a family before later on in the series when half of them die or whatever. So I, I think it was a a good thing to do. They came across a windfall of unexpected cash. They had lived acceptably before they had it. Um, yeah, I can't blame them. Yeah, I I don't know. I just maybe I was wrong when I said that. You know, we always hear them complaining about money because they really don't in the books. But they do sort of allude. You know, we do see hints of, you know, J.K. Rowling drops ideas to us of how poor they are. And maybe Aaron's right. Maybe they enjoy living that way. And that's fine. And I'm glad they went on a vacation and had a great time. It, it couldn't have cost that much money, though, if you think about it. I mean, they don't travel what, by seven air. Seven kids? 
Oh, yeah, you're right. And they probably have a place to stay with Bill. Or a tent. So they probably didn't spend a whole lot of it on the trip. But I would say we got 50 emails alone just on this and and how people are very horrible passionate. of people we are uh, to have criticized well, Weasley. You, you picked a strong email. I mean, I think that this email is, is very strong and not you know offensive in any way, but it, it's, it gets to the point. So that's really good. Yeah. I was just wondering, it's not cleared up in the books, but can't they just like flea powder themselves to Egypt and then just... You would think so. I can't. I can't imagine the cost being that much. True. Yeah. Or use a port key. Yeah. Yeah. Nick, you, can you read the next email for us, please? Uh, sure. Uh, next email is from Aaron, who's seventeen and from New Zealand. In episode one nine one, you were discussing why Harry didn't stay away from Marge. Why Vernon doesn't stop him being near Marge. Well, the answer is actually in the book. I didn't see how any of you didn't pick up on this when you just read those Oops. chapters. And he quotes the books and it says, Uncle Vernon and Aunt Petunia usually encouraged Harry to stay out of their way, which Harry was only happy to do. Aunt Marge, on the other hand, wanted Harry under her eye at all times so that she could boom out suggestions for his improvement. I'd like to say that I did know about this and I tried to bring it up, but I think we sort of got sidetracked. Um, my point was that Uncle Vernon should have stepped in and overpowered Aunt Marge since he knew what Harry could do if he was pushed. So therefore, it was his responsibility to take action. I uh, we know we we knew that Aunt Marge wanted Harry there, but Uncle Vernon should have said no. He has to stay up in his room. Sorry, and just leave it at that. I think Uncle Vernon's under the a hierarchy of people there, though, isn't he? He was kind of it is what in the hierarchy. Lower down. I think Aunt Marge, what she says goes. Yeah, I guess so. I mean, that's pretty sad if it's true. <laughs> Vernon is kind of submissive there. Eric, you want to take the next email? Sure. Next one is from Nicole17 from Canada. She says, hey, MogoCasters. First off, I just wanted to say that I love the show. You guys make my day whenever there's a new show. Anyway, I'm writing in response to something you said in your last episode, 191, about witches and wizards choosing not to go to school or learning to harness their magic. I just wanted to point out that we see an example of this in Book 7, when Dumbledore's sister refuses to learn magic and keeps it all bottled inside of her. There are some pretty nasty side effects to this refusal to learn magic. She ends up killing someone. Therefore, I don't think that a magical person would be allowed, by law, to decide not to learn how to use their magic properly. Once again, I love the show. Everyone is my favorite, but I think that Lady Dumbledore and Fox top my list for sure. <laughs> Thanks so much for this show. You guys are the best. Do we have some new uh, hosts <laughs> that you guys aren't telling me about? This Lady Dumbledore and Fox? Well, they came alive during one episode. Oh, ben and I created them. They lived through us. Um, but this is a really good point. And I think this is a great example, as Nicole says, of why everybody needs to be educated. But Dumbledore's sister was traumatized, wasn't she? I mean, it wasn't like she didn't want to learn magic in an institution because she didn't like institutions. Yeah, right? the I mean, situation she was, she was, was always that yeah. she was raped, right? Yeah, I think. or or something, something serious. Something was done to her. Yeah, and I think there's a difference between not learning how to harness your magic or use your magic and being educated. You know, I think you could learn how to use it at home you don't have to go to an institution in order to learn how to to use it properly i'm sure there are people that can teach you outside of school but 
this issue with with Dumbledore's sister, um, you know, not learning how to do magic, and and it is in the book that, that you know it manifested itself in weird ways, and she couldn't control it and that sort of thing. I, I think that had to do more with her emotional state, um, you know, and and her ability to come to terms with what happened. Um, and obviously, I mean, her dad uh, tried to avenge her and ended up in as Azkaban. Um, so it was, it was kind of a, an upset family unit, the Dumbledores. And, uh, I, I think of the Dumbledores as being the extreme case in many instances. Like, you know, you got Albus Dumbledore, who's highly intelligent, very successful, discovers 12 different ways to use dragon's blood. And, you know, he's obviously this great scholar. And then his sister is, you know, um, damaged to the point where she's doing, she's like a harm to herself with the magic that she possesses. Like she's unable to channel it and learn it and study it. And it just seems like the Dumbledores are a family of, of extremes. Next email, Micah! Well, if 50 emails came in about the Weasleys, I think another 50 came in about this topic. Uh, Lauren18 from Chicago writes, uh, When you got into the argument about Colin Creevy's camera and why it works in Hogwarts, it's because it isn't really technology. There's nothing digital about it because it's an old-timey camera. I'm pretty sure Colin even makes comments about how he needs to get the film developed special to get the pictures to move magically, which implies that he's kicking it old school photography-wise. Now, guys, why was this question asked? Because Joe answers this on their website, right? No, but, yes. But again, I was. this is something I was trying to get my point across with, but everyone was making fun of me on the show. I don't... Uh, uh, yes. Some cameras, old school cameras, were not technically technical. Electronic, <laughs> that makes I mean. sense. Electronic, yes, thank you. So More mechanical I, <laughs> than electronic. So what was your point last episode? My point was that, well, Ben brought up the question, how, or someone brought up the question, how can Colin Creevy have a camera in Hogwarts? But they, that person, whether it was Ben, I think it was Ben, was thinking that it was some like you know digital camera that he can use to upload f- pictures to Facebook on. But no, it's some old school <laughs> uh, camera, you know, from early 1900s, I would guess. So it's more mechanical than electronic. Exactly. Yeah. And it's like so a Polaroid. It, it wasn't yeah. from Ben. It was from Tiffany15 of Pittsburgh. Oh. It was a feedback email. Well, I actually just looked at our document from last episode. So It was a tweet. I see. You're all yeah. out for me. I'm just looking at Joe's website now. She explains it f- fully and how it, it doesn't use batteries. It runs off magic and the camera's uh, developed with different potions. It's all there. Yeah. Um, Okay. Well, why would we go there? You know that site's never updated anymore. Well, here's the thing, and I, <laughs> true, true. I feel bad when people email us and they're like, "Well, duh, it was on her site." It, there's just so much to keep track of at this point. It's kind of it's kind of impossible unless we were googling every single little thing that we bring up in the show, which, which can get very hard. Some, so, yeah, but more um, more more often than not, we just we and, unless it cl- unless one of us remembers. As in Nick's case, he remembered. You know. Thanks for that, Nick. Yeah, the best thing we can do is not spend a whole lot of time on it in the follow-up show. Yeah. <laughs> so, with that said, <laughs> next email comes from Kayla13 of Wenatachi, Washington. Wenatchee, Washington, something like that. 
Hello, MuggleCasters. I've been a short-time listener and have a small point to make. Last episode, you were discussing the fact that Hogwarts seemed to be a lower-class school compared to Durmstrang and uh, Bobatons. <laughs> My problem is, in the books, Hogwarts did not seem like the lower class to me, but the middle class. During the Yule Ball, Crumb was telling Hermione about Durmstrang, de- describing it as not as big nor as comfortable as Hogwarts. Students from Durmstrang also seemed very impressed by the Hogwarts castle upon arrival. On the other hand, the students of Bobatons had looks of disgust upon their faces and boasted about their beautiful castle. It just seemed to me that Durmstrang was lower class, Bobatons was upper class, and Hogwarts was in the healthy middle class. Sorry if that was lengthy, but it's been bugging me all day. Love the show. Keep up all the great work. Love and hugs, Kayla. Um... I think that was a point that we missed uh, last episode, and I think it's a very good one. Yeah, I th- I think it has less to do with the schools themselves being low, high class at all. I think it has more to do with the geographical region that they're in. Yeah. Um, you know, the Bulgarian... I was going to yeah, say that. Durmstrang, that it's, that it's this drafty... Um, you know, I think they go into more detail later that it's this horrible, cold place, as opposed to... Uh, you know, Hogwarts, which is, is, is too drafty for the, for the Bobotons, um, group. Uh, but at the same time, you know, Hogwarts is kind of, I guess, a middle ground in, in, in that. But th- I think the French, I think they just, I think Joe is characterizing having lived in France. I think that's, that's her insight into the kind of personality that s- French school children in the wizard world, at least, would, would have about their school, that their school's the best. Um, I think it's more of a, in other words, I think it's more of a, a, a characterization of, 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 you know, of Joe and, and, and I think it has less to do with actually politically, economically, what class goes there. We know that all students in those geographic regions go to those wizard schools. Those are the schools to go to. So, um, you get, you get higher class like Malfoy who lives in a mansion and then you got Harry who lived in a cupboard. And they both go to Hogwarts. Uh, the next email is from Elise. She's 18 and from Pennsylvania. She writes, Hey guys, love the show. I've been listening since episode 42. Anyways, I wanted to write in because I was listening to episode 189 and a listener wrote in wondering how Snape would feel about Harry naming his kid after him. While I originally gr- agreed with you that he would probably be kind of mad, I soon remembered that Joe made sure to mention in the epilogue that Albus Severus was the only one of Harry's three kids to inherit Lily's eyes. I think Snape would be very happy to know that his name was so closely connected to such an important and vivid piece of Lily. Thanks for reading, Elise. Liz. <laughs> well, why were you guys saying that he would be mad? Uh, it was another email. We didn't say that, it would, that he would be mad. Oh, Somebody okay. asked if they thought he would be mad if he would roll over in his grave or wasn't that the question? <laughs> yeah, that was something like that. <laughs> uh, it's funny. <laughs> All right. Our, you want me to take the last one? Please. The last email comes from Jasmine 20 of Chicago, and she says, Hey, Mugglecasters, I've just discovered the show within the past week, and I love it. I can't believe I've gone all this time without hearing about it, and I've become an instant fan. Can I stop I know, you right there for a second? Yeah. It's really cool to see how people are still discovering our show. That, like, really means a lot to us, and that's really great. I mean, you know, in the back of my head, I wonder, where have you been for so long? But on the other hand, it's great to see <laughs> that you're now discovering the show. So, thank you, and hello to all new listeners in the past year <laughs> or two. <laughs> 
So anyway. Uh, so it, she goes on to say, I know you've just finished your chapter by chapter roundup uh, for Chamber of Secrets, but when I was catching up with the old episodes, I was struck by your observations about the symmetry of the series, especially between number two and number six. I don't know if you've discussed this before, but I found it interesting that Ginny's attachment to Riddle's diary mirrors Harry's attachment to the Half-Blood Prince's potion book. Ginny and Harry both fall victim to trusting books with mysterious authors, the use of which almost kills people, the petrified victims, and Sectum Sempra's Oh, sorry, Sectum Sempered Draco. I found it odd that Harry would trust the book in the first place after Ginny's previous experience, but then again, Harry is often unaware of his own obsessions. Thoughts? Thanks for re... Oh, sorry. <laughs> Thanks for reading my long-winded question, Jasmine. That is a great connection. Yeah. Yeah. That was a really so good cool. connection. It's very interesting. I love that. I love symmetry and parallels and perpendiculars. <laughs> Everything is so cool. That was a Laura deal, right? She was the one yeah. who went down or <laughs> she was the one that went through and broke down all those. Yeah. Uh, we got to find that discussion and maybe like make a page out of it on, on Muggle and that. That'd be cool. Add it to the wall of fame. What? Yeah. Oh, yeah. That, that should be a wall of fame episode. Yeah. I don't think it's in there. Yeah, I don't think so either. We're always talking about it. Maybe it didn't exist. We've just been talking about it for so long, you know, we just started to think it was true. Yeah, that was a good episode that should have existed. Yeah. Oh, Jasmine also says that I have a sexy voice. So do you want to record a message to Jasmine? Tell her. I just I just read her email. That that should yeah. suffice, I think. Yeah, you're right. So that does it for Muggle Mail, and now it's time for chapter by chapter. It's so good to be going through these these books chapter by chapter because you know we have we it's great analysis we're uncovering gr- great refresher just a lot of fun. We and, don't even uh, have intro music, do we, Andrew? For this? No. Da-da-da-da-da. Chapter by chapter, chapter by chapter, we're going chapter by chapter. Okay. Nice, that was, that, that was a good job. That worked. <laughs> Spot on. Or this chapter by chapter. We slowly discover things we did not once know. Now that's a little bit over the top. Okay. All right. I'll, I'll try to develop something. Or someone else or maybe can. ask the fans. Come in with your most operatic chapter-by-chapter uh, chapter yeah. intro and send that. Come up with a here's, – here's what we – here's a fun idea. Issue a challenge, Andrew. Yes. Andrew's listener challenge. Listen up. Oh, we need an intro for that, too. Anyway, um, <laughs> come, up, come up with your own musical intro for chapter by chapter, and each week we'll play a different one to intro it. <gasps> that works. Uh, assuming we get enough entries. Yeah. Send them in, and we'll, pl- we'll play them before the... You know, make up a little jingle, chapter by chapter. Ba, ba, ba. Maybe I'll make one next week to encourage people to do it. There's your listener challenge. All right. So anyway, anyway, these three three chapters focus on Harry as he makes his journey to Hogwarts and 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 begins his his third year at Hogwarts. And Micah is going to take chapter four, the Leaky Cauldron. The chapter opens uh, talking about the freedom Harry now enjoys, and uh, it's interesting to get this kind of a look at Harry's character because. Normally, when all the books open up, he's stuck at the Dursleys, and, uh, you know, he's very confined and constricted about what he can do. And yes, he was at the Dursleys in, in the beginning of this book as well, but now he's sort of off on his own, and he has the opportunity to wake up when he feels like it. He can eat whenever he wants, and he can kind of go wherever he pleases as long as he stays within Diagon Alley. 
And he seems almost like he's on a bit of a vacation, you know, as he's hanging out around all these stores and checking out what's in all these different shops. And they make a note that Harry's eating ice cream almost, you know, every half hour, I think it is. So it's, do you guys think there's a little bit of a different look into Harry? What might have he been like if he didn't get stuck with the Dursleys all the time? It's, it's very awesome, yeah, to see him like this. Like you say, Micah, because usually he's strained or, you know, and or stressed. And I don't think, I mean, it's definitely a rare moment in this series that we see him getting to enjoy this where it's, it's pretty much Harry going around loving magic. Um, but still, he, he just, he, he gets this, he gets to relax in his world. And that's just something that obviously, you know, as a tragic hero, um, he gets very little time to do. So it's inter- it's good that you pointed this out, and yeah, it's it's great to see Harry and you know even uh, Florian Fortescue, um, who was never resolved in book seven. Um, Florian Fortescue, you know, helps Harry with his homework, and that's just that's really cool. Um, just a great moment of you know relaxation for him. So yeah, absolutely. Yeah, and and I mentioned he's kind of bumming around Diagon Alley, and uh, probably the most important thing that we see him come across uh, that plays a role later on in the book is uh, the firebolt. And uh, I thought that was a little bit of foreshadowing. Obviously we know now Sirius sends it to him with no ill intent, but there's uh, a huge part of the the book later on where Harry gets angry with Hermione for uh, telling McGonagall that they don't know where this broomstick came from. But, uh, you're completely different than how this plays out in the movie, uh, because he That's doesn't right. get the firebolt till the end of the movie. That's right. Uh, but just really weird that, uh, you know, here he is looking at this broomstick that ends up uh, playing a role later on. And he wants yeah. it badly too. You know, he's standing there like, "Wow, I really want this." And I think yeah. he wonders aloud if he, you know, is going to deplete his money because he can afford it. And yeah, I had forgotten all about that fireball being confiscated. Like that's a big part of Harry's character as well that we'll we'll visit later in this book. Yeah. Yep. And I gotta say, the fireball was one of those the, the one of the first magical objects that I personally was truly very fascinated by. And I I even had in fifth grade I think or sixth grade there was a project where we had to make a product. A, a a imaginary product like bring it to real life so i made the firebolt and like i i i took some gold spray paint and uh spray painted the the broom part of it and i painted the stick red and i put firebolt on it and we may still have it i had a box it was gold it was awesome and yeah, yeah it's just it was just a really cool object and you sort of watched harry you know, be so fascinated by it, and it made me become fascinated by it. I, I think if Ben or Jamie were on the show right now, they would definitely make fun of you. But I, 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 can't, <laughs> yeah. I, can't, I can't do a good enough British accent to mock you properly. But anyway, we we learn in this chapter, or we've probably heard mentions of it in the, the chapters preceding. But Harry's taking two new courses this year: divination and care of magical creatures, and. You know, he goes and uh, he realizes that the Monster Book of Monsters book that Hagrid has given him will come in handy uh, when he goes into Flourish and Blots. And uh, it doesn't have to go through the process and, and make the uh, the storekeeper dig into this crate of books that are absolutely uh, tearing Savage. each other apart. Yeah. And uh, 
he goes to the back of the store with the with the storekeeper to get unfogging the future for divination and all of a sudden he's distracted by this book called death omens what to do when you know the worst is coming and there's this big black dog on the cover of the book and we've obviously seen a big black dog earlier on in the in uh, Prisoner of Azkaban, uh, just before the night bus shows up to get Harry, and now we see it again. So it, I don't know if we want to keep count somewhere of, of how many uh, death omens we see throughout the course of this book. Hmm. It's probably worth it. Um, but as I say later, too, I mean, I, I love the what it turns out to eventually be is, you know, confusion with all these death omens, and Harry gets really concerned, and people are literally, you know, coming up to him and telling him that he's going to die, and he has all this anxiety for it, and how it plays out, you know, it's very interesting to see Harry, being only 13 years old, wonder, you know, am I going to die? And obviously he's been slated to, you know, by some of the characters we meet later, but this whole death omens thing is really interesting that it's that it's in this book, and, and, and very fascinating to read Harry's, like, reaction to seeing the death omens. And this is yeah. a, a classic example of poor, um, inexperienced Harry. How he's so scared by the death omens. And I really like seeing Harry in this sort of, you know, stage. It's cute. Huh. Yeah, where he's, like, vulnerable. Scary might be a better word. Uh, but the the next point I put in here, because we got the, the emails uh, from last show about how... Uh, you know, J.K. Rowling doesn't do a whole lot of character development. And Harry, as he's in Diagon Alley, some, he spends more time there. A lot of these students begin to show up. Uh, and one of the people that he runs across is Neville, and he sees Neville with his grandmother. And the book notes that Harry hopes Neville's grandmother never finds out that he pretended to be Neville while on the run from the Ministry of Magic. And I, to me, that was just, I don't know, I just kind of thought that as a funny moment. Here's Harry watching uh, Neville's grandmother, never really properly introduced to her until Order of the Phoenix, and yet he already has this suspicion that she's just somebody you don't want to mess with. <laughs> yeah, definitely definitely not something that would be in the book if J.K. Rowling lacked in-character uh, definition. Yeah, exactly. So, yeah, yeah. definitely take that. Now, Harry ends up meeting with uh, Ron and Hermione, and uh, we get our first glimpse into something being up with Hermione uh, when we see that she has three bags full of books, and she says herself she's studying um, arithmancy, care of magical creatures, divination, study of ancient runes, muggle studies, and this is all on top of their regular coursework, uh, like herbology and potions and things like that. So does... I wanted to know, um, does Ron raise a good point when he asks her why she is taking Muggle Studies? This seems like something that would be an easy grade for her. And I know she says that she wants to look at it from uh, a wizarding perspective. But that seems like some BS to me. I mean, <laughs> that's such an easy class for her to take. Well, that, that's like when you take like Geography 101 in college. Look, <laughs> I, I remember it, to this point. Oh, did, it, did Andrew, did you want to say something? That was Nick. Oh, Nick. Did you want to say something? I'll say after that. All right. Well, um, I just remember in high school, I got upset 
um, when uh, a lot of kids took Spanish who already knew how to speak Spanish, and I, I held it against them. But um, looking at this, you know, this way, and, and I think later in the year too, Hermione gets like a hundred and fifty percent or something on the exam for Muggle Studies is what it says is what you know the book says. So yes, in one way, it is a very easy grade. Um, I at least you know I think it's it's oh it. It's good that Hermione's also taking 10 extra other classes, is all I'm saying. It's not like she's taking Muggle Studies instead of Divination or instead of the other That's classes. That's true. You know, that, that way it would true. be an easy grade. She's actually just, she's got a time turner, and she says, well, I'm going to use it to its full potential. I'm going to take all these classes. Um, and so, it's just in her character. She just wants to be busy <laughs> like this, and she wants to know every single thing. And I guess to answer this question best, we should look at what, Muggle Studies actually teaches, and I'm going to look it up right now, because, you know, maybe there are things that Hermione needs to learn. Who knows? Actually, if you think about it, she only had uh, 11 years, or six, five or six years of um, traditional Muggle education. Right. And she's probably also very interested in seeing the wizard's perspective of muggles in Which general is what she said yeah yeah that's what i was going to say it's the whole uh, the think of the stereotypes and the mad things that wizards perceive us to be and i think that's one of the reasons why i would certainly do it if i was if i was her according to i mean i mean it's the whole arthur weasley what is the point of a rubber duck yeah. scenario isn't exactly. it exactly just just a lesson of that would just be funny for me I guess. yeah yeah um, according to the Harry Potter lexicon, Muggle Studies is a course in the history, culture, and psychology of non-magical people. The class attempts to help young witches and wizards understand the difference between the way muggles think and the way wizards think. So, yeah, I think this is primarily Hermione's way of, of learning how how wizards look at muggles. Easy A. <laughs> yeah, or, well, or whatever yeah. the equivalent is. Yeah. For how for how ignorant it seems that muggles or wizards are throughout the entire books, it seems like Muggle Studies the class isn't much better. Um and but what it's was good her official job? Didn't she move into something that Muggle Studies might have helped in when she grew up? Uh right. That's a good question. Isn't she like the not the Muggle liaison? I'm gonna look that up while you guys talk. Uh, but but anyway, uh, this is our first look at her taking on uh, a course load that just doesn't meet with the the time requirements. So even early on, we get a feeling that Hermione's up to something. And uh, then we learn from Ron that Egypt didn't agree with Scabbers. Right. And uh, once we are in the pet store, I'll call it, uh, when Hermione goes uh, to look for an owl... Uh, he, Ron takes Scabbers, puts him on the, the countertop, and has him inspected. And it's interesting to me that it, Ron doesn't seem to know how old this rat is or what powers he has. Now, that should probably have been the first time we were reading through, knowing J.K. Rowling, a red flag right away. Especially when we're told a normal rat lives three years yeah. or something like that. In, in the So something's up with that. And we get the first me- mention of, of him missing uh, a toe. Oh, yeah. Which comes to play later yeah, on. very significant. But Joe has masked it and is able – I mean, we're able to see – because she says most – because this old storekeeper lady says that rats are only supposed to live three years, and Ron's like, well, crap, I've had this – you know, this rat's been in the family forever. It furthers the anxiety that Scabbers is going to die. Um, you know, so later when, when – well, same day when Hermione gets Crookshanks, and throughout the entire book – 
you know, we're basically told that scabbers, you know, shouldn't be alive. And right. uh, we kind of, it helps us side with Ron or at least see where he's coming from when this this woman in authority has told rat Ron to pretty much say goodbye and offers him new rats to buy, you know, instead. It's, it's, it's interesting. But it is a plot point. It's just, it's masked by this emotion. And that just goes to, you know, show how clever J.K. Rowling is. So we get introduced to Crookshanks, as you mentioned, Eric, and uh, he ends up being the reason why Scabbers runs out of the store. And uh, while Harry and Ron go to find Scabbers, Hermione ends up buying Crookshanks. And I, I wrote there round one because we know there's a number of incidents throughout the course of of this book where the two of them uh, get into it with each other. Yes, yeah. uh, and so- in chapter five. The discussion I wrote for it, we'll get into that. I want to delve into that a little deeper. I have a little thing to discuss there. Cool. Yeah. So later on in the chapter, Arthur Weasley makes the comment, Black's not going to be caught by a 13-year-old wizard. And this is just, again, J.K. Rowling at her best, I guess. Maybe not if you're Anna. Uh, but <laughs> there it is, uh, you know, sort of the irony of his statements. Because, indeed, in a way, he is caught by a 13-year-old wizard. Well, it's right. interesting because Arthur is, is – and, and, and the whole world at this point is blind to Sirius Black's true intentions. Um, so whereas Arthur Weasley says Black's not going to be caught by a 13-year-old wizard, you know, implying that he's so powerful, so dangerous, so dark, Black really – you know, Sirius wants to have a relationship with this 13-year-old wizard that Arthur Weasley's you know, speaking of – you know, in his deepest heart. Um, so it, it's almost like it's it's non sequitur in a way because, um, you know, he doesn't have the facts, but in reality, it's it's that Sirius is, you know, obviously not a villain. Um, but what I want to say is that Black had no choice but to interact with this 13-year-old wizard in a way that, you know, I mean, their fates are linked, I guess is all I'm trying to say. Yeah. Um you know, as is the case so often in these Harry Potter books, the fates are linked. Um, but it's 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 really cool um, to to see and to point out that Arthur Weasley's like, oh well, not going to happen, and then it does. Uh-huh. It's not a show of bad writing or anything like that. It's actually the opposite. Well, yeah, I, I agree with what you're saying, and you know, in this chapter also we see a lot of Fred and George um, making fun of Percy, and <laughs> I want. This is a larger question throughout the series, I guess. But do you think Percy would have turned out to be as big of a git as they refer to him throughout the books if Fred and George treated him a little bit better? I mean, they do get on Ron, but not as much as they do with Percy. And, you know, they they make fun of who he is as a person, you know, his personality. And in this chapter, they, they take his head boy badge, which he's really proud of, and they make it read Big Head Boy. So, <laughs> I don't know if the amount of uh, badgering they were doing against Percy was really enough to really change Percy's character. So, right. I I think there is some deeper stuff going on with Percy there. I certainly think if if Fred and George were treating him nicer, I don't think there would have been any difference really. I mean, he still would have had his issues with the family. So, right. okay. Well, moving on, uh, Harry overhears Mr. and Mrs. Weasley talking about Sirius Black. This, they're all back at the Leaky Cauldron now, and Harry has come downstairs, I think, to get Ron's uh, rat tonic. Tonic. For, sca- <laughs> for, for scabbers. It's like a manicure and, for, for rats. 
And uh, <laughs> we, we get our first reference of he's at Hogwarts, he's at Hogwarts, which they did play up in the movies. Uh, yeah. And we learn from Mr. Weasley that Fudge never reported this line to the Daily Prophet. Now, do you think this was a misstep on his part or do you just think that the information wasn't there yet to to make it seem as if maybe it's not Harry – Maybe it's somebody else. Or maybe they just didn't want to report it in case... Panic. They thought they could catch Black. So if, if they put in the papers, they know where he is. Maybe they think Black's, uh, Sirius is going to run away. Or It's possible. I, I don't know. Maybe it was more beneficial to withhold it from the from the press. I mean, yeah, and in if, hopes of if you it. think about parents reading this article about a ser- an alleged serial killer oh, yeah. who was plotting to get someone who's at Hogwarts... They wouldn't let their kids go to Hogwarts. We'd have we'd have book five, you know, two books early or book yeah. six. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So, you know, and this is just one of the first poor steps by the ministry with how they keep not reporting things to the Daily Prophet or making sure they don't show up in the Daily Prophet. But it's kind of yeah. like it's kind of like they have no choice but to catch Black. You know, that's their only lead in a way. So they're able to to put Dementors at you know the entrance of Hogwarts and just say out of out of coincidence or out of happenstance, oh, this is just for protection generally, nothing to fear, etc. You know, they're able to do that under the guise of just generally protecting their student community when yeah. actually that's I mean that's their best chance to trap Sirius Black when he does show up. You're yeah, and, and right. kind of going off of Definitely. that point, um, you know, why does Dumbledore agree to let? the Dementors guard Hogwarts. I mean, is it really necessary? And why not put auras around the grounds? Well, well, I think the parents appreciate seeing some protection around Hogwarts, whether they know or not that Sirius may be planning to go to Hogwarts. But I also think, I think Dumbledore, you know, as much as he does not like the Dementors, I mean, he he certainly knows that they got to be a little helpful, right? Well, it's addressed, actually. It's addressed when uh, the first, either the the attack occurs or something, uh, Hermione, I think it's at the Quidditch game, Hermione mentions how furious Dumbledore is. This, I think it's like one of the first references of Dumbledore actually flipping his lid uh, on the uh, on the Dementors for breaking barrier, you know, and, and, and obviously going and trying to kiss Harry, I think it was. Um, but Dumbledore doesn't like them, and, and I think several characters throughout this throughout this book are saying how, you know, if Dumbledore saw any other option, he would have taken it. Um, but people seem to respect him for, for putting these horrible monsters at Hogwarts simply because of the added precaution. Yeah, and, and Arthur Weasley says something really interesting. He says, when you're dealing with a wizard like Black, you sometimes have to join forces with those you'd rather avoid, and that's referring to the Dementors. But I was wondering, does this ever come into play later on in the series when you're forced to work with people maybe you'd rather not? Uh, yeah. Mundungus Fletcher I'd, comes to mind immediately, but, I mean, that's not really a big thing. But just how – just the role that Narcissus Malfoy later plays, I think, is is kind of related. You know, because Harry trusts her in the very end. Um, yeah. I think it's, it's good And Andrew, I think the final point is yours. Yeah, uh, the, the final thing in this chapter I thought was interesting. Um, there's a quote at the end of this chapter. The thing that bothered Harry most was the fact that his chances of visiting Hogsmeade now looked like zero. Nobody would want Harry to leave the safety of the castle until Black was caught. So I'm wondering why, out of everything that Harry's learning all of a sudden, that what bothered Harry most was that he wouldn't be able to go to a village. I mean, I know it's Harry's sort of way of 
being a normal wizard. I get that. And I sympathize. But why is that what bothered him most? I mean, is that sort of his immaturity or does he not really understand? I mean, he doesn't know that Sirius is his uncle. So Godfather. Godfather. Sorry. Same thing. Godfather. <laughs> so why? So what? So yeah. Why is he not concerned? I mean, he's he 13. thinks he's he's, but he thinks he's a tough. Yeah, he should be scared if he's thirteen. Yeah, he thinks he's all Mister Tough Guy because oh, I've defeated Voldemort twice. Blah, blah. Yeah, your question in this doc is is he is he is he less concerned about his safety? You know why yeah. is, is that? And I just think I, I think Harry wants to be normal. I think that's what it is. I mean, he just doesn't want any special treatment, which is the 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 one side of it, and the other side is you know he just does want to get get on with with being, you know, regular. So, I mean, him being excluded from Hogsmeade, which it very much seems like he will be, and, you know, later we find out, yes, that's exactly what's happening. Um, he just, he doesn't want to be put apart. He doesn't want people to know that he's being treated differently, that he doesn't, you know, that he's not one of the crowd, because he really wants to blend in. I, I just think that's that's a traditional way for a 13-year-old to feel. Chapter 5, The Dementor, um, starts off with Harry wanting to tell Ron and Hermione what he learned the night previously, but they're all interrupted by the busy morning of trying to get to King's Cross. And here we see more bickering about Crookshanks, Crookshanks and Scabbers between Hermione and Ron. And, and this two. got me... The, yeah, round the two. So this got me thinking, are the two animals sort of reflections of their respective owners? When you think about it, Crookshanks is a character who likes to physically attack the lower animals on the food chain, similar to how Hermione is higher on the educational food chain, sort of, uh, so to speak, and regularly attacks Ron verbally. Do you guys see any parallels between Hermione Crookshanks and Ron Scabbers? Yeah, I think it's it's interesting that you bring that up. Uh, I mean, I know Crookshanks is going after Scabbers because he realizes that Scabbers is not what he appears to be, but. Yeah. I also think that that's, that's interesting insight into Ron and Hermione's characters, though, definitely. I mean, Crookshanks does act that way a lot throughout the course of the series. I mean, he, he kind of polices and, and goes after, uh, I, I mean, I think in Order of the Phoenix, he jumps at some of the fireworks and occasionally he'll go after an owl or two. Uh, so, uh, <laughs> It's interesting. I don't know. It's, it's cool that, <laughs> it's cool that you brought that up. The, the death of Hedwig. No, I agree. Um, it's and and thinking of you know Scabbers as a mass murderer simply doesn't work in, in you know in this in this question. But it uh, but it's fascinating because you know watching Ron be protective over Scabbers. Scabbers you know being the weak rodent who's already lost a toe. And Ron you know protecting him and getting genuinely you know offended at every little step that Hermione's pet makes. I think it's, and what you said, Micah, about Crookshanks policing, you know, totally exactly it. So, yeah, I think there is a great connection. So, at this point, we reach a little movie comparison. Um, they're about to board the Hogwarts Express, and Mrs. Weasley starts distributing sandwiches for the train r- ride, which is very thoughtful of her. Yeah, very and- nice. No, it's just funny that she does that. I mean, it's it's definitely a motherly thing to do. Yeah, exactly. Her last little help, the way to help help the kids before they go to Hogwarts again. Um, but so Mr. Weasley notices that at this moment he can pull Harry away, so he does, and prepares to tell him about Sirius, but Harry stops him and tells him, Hey, I I, I, I heard what you and Mrs. Weasley said last night. 
And Arthur says this isn't the way he would have hoped for Harry to find out. But to make matters worse, he follows up with this statement. I can't believe he says this to Harry. Harry, you must be very scared. I mean, that's not something you want to say to a kid who potentially could be scared. That's not very comforting. And he's looking up to you for support. If a parent told me, you must be scared or, you know, you must stink or something like that, I would be very hurt. Or Especially when you're seeing death omens everywhere. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Harry, you must just be wanting to give up right now. <laughs> yeah. You know? I don't know. I, I guess it was a spur of the moment sort of thing. It's, it's, his heart's in the right place. You know, it, it's, 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 like, it's like a plot, you know, device because of your next point, Andrew. But um, his heart's in the right place. Well, so Arthur asks Harry to swear to him that he won't go looking for Black, and that's sort of a cool line in the movie. By the way, the the, the movie comparison I was making was uh, Arthur does not tell him at the um, at at King's Cross. He tells him at uh, what the Three Broomsticks or Leaky Cauldron. Leaky Cauldron, yeah. Leaky Cauldron. So Arthur asks Harry to swear to him that he won't go looking for Black, and that was a cool quote in the movie. You know, swear to me you won't go looking for Black. Why would I go looking for someone who wants to kill me? Yeah. <laughs> and <laughs> Harry is confused by the statement, but there's little time to clarify because the Hogwarts Express begins to pull away. So Arthur quickly tells him to not believe what he may hear. And Harry starts to run away, so technically Harry never agrees that he won't go looking. Because he, you know, because he goes running for the train. I just wanted to note that for the record. Well, uh, I hate to bring this up, but wouldn't this have been the best time to explain to Harry everything that was going on between uh, Harry's parents and Sirius Black? I mean, why would I know he finds out about it later in the book, overhearing it when he shouldn't be? But again, they never give him this information. He finds out when he's under the invisibility cloak. Um, in the three broomsticks, wouldn't this have been an ideal time? You know, both the Weasleys being sort of the parental figures to him, to sit him down and and tell him what exactly transpired between Sirius and Harry's parents. And to think that Dumbledore should at least step in too. I mean, once Harry, I mean, giving him just the time on the train to think it out, sure. But had they approached him early. A, he probably wouldn't have wanted to break into Hogsmeade as badly because, I mean, he ends up putting himself in further danger just to overhear the true story anyway or, or you know, as much as they know it. Um, if Dumbledore were to sit down with Harry at the beginning of term, you know, treat him like an adult, which we know that Dumbledore himself regrets not doing sooner, um, you know, later just sitting him down and saying, look, this is the deal, giving Harry the support structure um, to A, have the knowledge and make those you know, B, make those decisions that, uh, what he wants to do. You know, I guess the fear is that Harry wants to avenge his parents' death, that that's going to be the big thing. Once but that happens learns. anyway. Well, it happens anyway, but I mean, giving him, yeah, giving him the, the, the context of, of a whole year, uh, you know, instead of just a few weeks or a few days, I forget which it is later on, to decide what he wants to do with that information and, you know, giving him the support structure of the, the students and the teachers and the parents that, that know what position he's in would have possibly influenced things um, for, for Harry's better, but at the same time wouldn't have worked as well with, um, obviously, Harry as susceptible to believe that Black isn't actually a villain, I guess. So, moving along, Harry tells Ron and Hermione he needs to speak with them in private. They find the compartment with only Lupin inside and establish that he'll be the new Defense Against the Dark Arts teacher because on his uh, case it says Professor Lupin, and they're like, oh, there's only one spot to fill. So, 
Harry fills Ron and Hermione in on what he learns, and they too are confused by Arthur's warning about searching for Sirius. And Ron and Hermione begin to talk about Hogsmeade at this point, and this upsets Harry. And when discussing how Harry could join them, Ron briefly considers asking Fred and George if there are passages out of the castle to Hogsmeade. But it is foreshadowing about the Marauder's Map, um, which comes into play later on, obviously. Yeah, Um, yeah. Yeah. Oh, my point about before that I thought, just real quick, was that I just thought it was really foul how Draco knew more than Harry, though. Yeah. Because Draco te- not taunts him at points during this book, you know, almost like he know. Well, he does know about Sirius and what Sirius did, and the fact that Harry has no clue. I thought that was wrong. Yeah, and surely others yeah. in the wizarding community. I mean, they don't know that that Black was the secret keeper. Or whatever Fudge says, you know, has been kept out of the press as well. But surely they do know. I mean, the the popular knowledge should be a little bit more than than Harry knows, and that's just a bad position to put Harry in. Just in general. I don't think that's fair. So, Draco, Crabbe, and Goyle briefly enter the trio's compartment, but don't pick a fight, as Ron is quick to point out that a new Hogwarts teacher is right there with them. And so they leave, and then suddenly things start to get nasty. The train begins to come to stop as everything outside goes darker. We we know it was raining pretty much the whole time. And lights go off in the train, and people begin to panic. So this is where another movie difference comes in. Um, in the in the book, Lupin awakes before the Dementor comes in, and Lupin lights a fire in his hand, but the Dementor opens the door before Lupin can reach it. The Dementor begins to suck out Harry's soul and begins to black out, and he starts feeling very depressed. You know, we see all the effects of what a Dementor can do to you when you're sucking out when your soul is being removed. Um, of course, the movie difference here is that in the movie. Um, the the Dementor begins to come in, and then Lupin just suddenly happens to awake and sends the spell. Um, so it, it was just funny because there's so many things that happen in this compartment compartment right before the Dementors come in that this is the thing that wakes Lupin up. I just thought that to be kind of he's got know, an eye for danger. <laughs> I'm not criticizing <laughs> it, but like there was a lot more louder things going on. I don't think that Dementor t- attack was too loud. I don't know. Well, was... Well, maybe... Yeah. yeah. Go ahead. Was he sleeping? I mean... Oh, it, maybe? It never okay. comes into play. It's not relevant, except, you know, speculative. Was he asleep? That that was always the question I was asking. You know, was Lupin really asleep? But they still come in there... I mean, he wasn't planning on the trio coming in there, would he? Did he assume that only the trio would end up coming into his, his compartment? I, I, I don't know. I mean, he doesn't know. Because I, I just don't see the point of why he would be sleeping to begin, or pretending to be sleeping right. to begin with. Unless he really was sleeping, and then he... Maybe he just it, sensed the presence of the Dementor. Maybe, And he knew that that was... You know, of course, he could have yeah. been woken up at times. You don't have to open your eyes just to, you know, to be awake. And, you know, maybe he just kind of pushed it aside as being, you know, young kids being obnoxious. And... But when he felt the presence of the Dementor and the train slow down, he, you know, jumped yep. into action. Yeah, I think you're right. So, uh, but I was wondering a little what if here. What if they hadn't chosen the compartment Lupin was sleeping in to stay in? Or what if Lupin wasn't on the train at all? 
Who would have saved Harry? That's a good question. You get a bunch Could of... Could a student have jumped in who's experienced with fighting Dementors? It seems like... Sending... Yeah, it seems like Dementors were never part of the original curriculum in any of the books. It's not like, okay, now we're going to deal with Dementors. I right. wonder if anybody, sans the conductor and maybe the, the trolley lady, would have come in and kicked some Dementors. But, <laughs> you know, they're all underage wizards uh, with the, you know, seventh years, obviously a little, little ambiguous there. But, yeah, it's a, it's a darn good question. Like... How is the Hogwarts Express vulnerable from attack, or is it? And I think I think a Dementor would have made off with Harry's soul. I think you're right. I don't see how else he could have gotten out of it, unless Hermione had conveniently learned. We uh, read about it. How to accuse some books from the, yeah, uh, the, yeah. the library? <laughs> Accio someone else's Patronus. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. Okay, so everyone arrives at Hogwarts, and Draco teases Harry for passing out, and McGonagall brings the trio up to her office to speak with them. But Harry insists that he is fine and does not need any assistance from Madame Pomfrey. Madame Pomfrey's sort of there and being like, Oh, you, you messed yourself up again. Oh, she's kind of mean. I didn't like her. <laughs> um, and then McGonagall has a private word with Hermione, who exits the brief meeting with a big smile on her face. Is this the moment she received her time turner, you think? Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Seems or like. that she'd be allowed to use it. She gets the permission. Maybe. Yeah, because I was going to say, in the movie, we see, and I, I can't remember if this happens in the book, but in the movie, Hermione says, Dumbledore gave it to me. So, Does she? Yeah, I'm pretty sure, when he's explaining it, mm-hmm. when she's explaining it to Harry. So... um. So Dumbledore gives his welcome feast speech and warns his students not to leave the grounds or else they will be greeted by an unfriendly Dementor. And Dumbledore announces that Lupin will be the new Defense Against the Dark Arts teacher and Hagrid will take over the care of magical creatures position. Um, To this, Hagrid was very excited. He shed some tears. It was really, really bittersweet. Um, And to Harry's surprise, this was interesting. Snape gives Lupin a loathing look only comparable to when Snape looks at Harry. Yeah. This is when uh, Dumbledore announces that Lupin will be the new Defense Against the Dark Arts teacher. So why would Snape do this, even though he's a good guy? Is he just upset he's still not the teacher? <laughs> well, that's I the excuse they give, so. isn't it? I, I don't believe that. I mean, I think when you look at Order of the Phoenix and you go into Snape's memory, as much as Lupin wasn't responsible for... Uh, you know, what happened to Snape during his time there. He really didn't do much to, to prevent it. So I think it's kind of one of those situations that even though you're not actually acting on it, you're still complicit in it because you're not doing anything. And I think Snape holds Lupin accountable for that um, yeah. and for being James and Sirius's best friend. It's bad memories stirred up. I mean, we've seen Snape lose it. You know, don't call me a coward. When he gets emotional, he's not able to be professional. And uh, so, you know, obviously, this old school rivalry is not something Snape needed. Um, and to yeah. see it firsthand is probably just bitter. You know, he's bitter. So the feast begins, and all is well until the next chapter. Dun dun dun. So similarly to how Andrew had a, the last comment of the chapter. Um, I also, my first note of chapter six is about chapter five. The last words of the chapter are, uh, quote, they reached their familiar circular dormitory with its five four-poster beds, and Harry, looking around, felt that he was home at last. That's uh, just a great character moment where Harry's like, oh, I'm finally home. Um, so it's his first day at Hogwarts in chapter six. 
um, talons and tea leaves. And Harry's a little upset because he fainted on the train and all of the Slytherins are making fun of him. That's just kind of a recurring theme of this chapter is that Harry is starting to feel really weak. He's starting to feel out of the loop. Um, and, uh, there's this great moment here where Fred and George, um, turn the subject to Quidditch and they're like, yeah, we'll, we'll just, we'll just whoop his butt in Quidditch then. Don't worry about Malfoy. Um, so that's really cool. And they're handed their class schedules, um, which is great because now we see for the first time that, uh, they are taking new classes. So we're going to learn a little bit more about the different branches of magic in the world, um, which is great. And now it comes to a head where Ron sees Hermione's schedule and tells her that there simply isn't enough time, which is italicized, for her to take ten classes. She tells him to mind his own subplots, but he persists. She's got divination, muggle studies, and arithmancy, or arithmancy, all at 9 a.m. Okay, so my, <laughs> my point here is, um, because we're actually seeing, she's actually got three classes at once. Um... By, which means she's taking one of the classes, going back in time, taking that class, going back in time again. And that's her first night. That's her 9 a.m. slot. And yeah. I just kind of think I can't help but think, you know, when reading this, that it's got to add up all this extra time that she's living. She's she's basically older than she should be. And it's not and it's not just a little thing because they're in Hogwarts, you know, for for what, eight months or so. And you know, by the end of the year, sure, she drops divination, but she's got to be that many, she's going to be that many hours older than herself. Well, I don't know how relevant it, like, I don't know if it makes too much of a difference, but it, I, I, I was going to say earlier, it's certainly interesting at, at the start of each of these school years to see all these new classes and these new books. It was always fun to read, you know, the, the clever titles that Joe wrote, uh, Joe came up with for, you know, the school books and, uh, just to see the new classes as well. Yeah. But I, I I just don't I still don't I can't figure out like I know Hermione's a hardcore student, but I still can't figure out why she wanted to take all these classes so badly. In in year three, no doubt. I mean there were four more years that she could have done this. Yeah, and I mean so. it certainly wasn't necessary. No. Because otherwise otherwise all the students would be doing it. Everyone would have a time turner. It'd just be one crazy Yeah. Well time I mean that's warp. interesting how it's I mean it's convenient, but at the same time, um I just think, you know, I mentioned in my notes, book four, where they have that age restriction drought um, that Fred and George try and trip. You know, if yeah. Hermione had done enough time traveling, she would have been old enough to put her name in the Goblet of Fire, you know, had she wanted to. Um, but that was just, that's an extreme. <clears throat> um, okay, so they meet Sir Cadigan uh, on their way to divination. Um, they come upon this painting of a grassy patch with a pony. And, uh, Sir Cadigan agrees to show them the west, rest of the way to the North Tower. And, uh, it's, it's just Harry's, um, kind of an I love magic moment. But, uh, Joe writes how Sir Cadigan is traveling through all these other paintings of, like, monks that look hostile. And it's, and I, I just put here that I really wish that, um, at some point throughout the series, they would have skidooed and, and, and gone into the, uh, the portrait world. Um, just yeah. because it seems really cool. Yeah, well, isn't it, um, is it Charlie or Bill who ask about Sir Cadigan? I think it's in Goblet of Fire. Um, when? Yeah, they ask, One is of that says, isn't it, is, Yeah, something like that. Is he still running around or, I can't remember what the exact question was, but again, it shows how, even how insignificant the character is, J.K. Rowling still makes them relevant throughout the course of the series. Yeah, that he's got, that other people, you know, Hogwarts, Bill and Charlie at their time knew him somehow. You know, all these stories waiting to be told. 
Um, so we do meet, uh, Trelawney. We get, we, they get to divination and we meet Sybil Trelawney. Um, and I write here that she's the second concrete link to Harry's past that we have, because, uh, in this book, at least, because apart from Sirius Black, um, who's been blamed for telling Voldemort where Lily and James were hiding out, Trelawney, we later find out, was the seer who made the original prophecy. Um, directly the reason that Voldemort came after Harry to begin with. Um, very important character that is passed off as this kook. Um, and this, this teacher that we, you know, little do we know, um, but it's just, it's fascinating how Joe, at, you know, at the same time she's telling a story about, um, Harry in his third year, he's 13, his new classes. She's also fleshing out the backstory. One of the great things I think about this book that I, I will bring up when I can. Um, so basically, um, the divination class goes on. Uh, they make, uh, Trelawney starts making tiny, I say cryptic, uh, pronouncements about certain members of the class. She's like, oh, Neville, your grandmother is gonna, you know, is she well? Oh, I wouldn't be so sure. Um, and Ron, let me think this. Ron reads Harry's tea leaves, um, and he says there's this, do you guys remember at one point, especially Mike, I think you may have talked about this, about, um, Ron suggests that Harry's gonna get some unexpected gold, and that, obviously does happen in, in year four. Um, but some of these prophecies, I think Joe has hidden as being actual foreshadowing to, to the future books. Yeah, I, I agree with that. I, I think that, you know, all the little things that get thrown in there that you have to pay attention to that you realize more so when you go back and reread the series for the however many times, but there's always something in there that maybe you didn't notice previously. And, and this is one of those things, like you said, the, the, an unexpected windfall of gold. Um, it obviously comes Harry's way at the end of Goblet of Fire. Yeah. Plus, when you think about the, you know, what's going on right now, Trelawney, who's made out to be some insane woman, is teaching them how to read tea leaves, and Ron is giving Harry a prediction. So between Ron... You know, who's not the best student, and Trelawney being some crazy woman, you would never guess that this prediction would actually come true. Even if it did truly come true, it could be a mere coincidence. Yeah. And I think what I was, yeah, what I was trying to remember was later in the book when they actually purposefully, Ron and Harry are purposefully making stuff up, that's when it actually, I think, even deeper and more correctly foreshadows the rest of the series. But it's cool, and it's evidence of pre-planning. So Muggle cast six, Anna, zero. Uh, the Grim, <laughs> no, no, one or two, I'd say for Anna. Um, the Grim, we got Death Omen count number three or four, Micah, do you know? Um, so far? Three, I think. Three. Uh, it's just, uh, yeah, this really upsets Harry. It's Harry being vulnerable again, and really... What's the omen? The omen is... Oh, the, oh Trelawney's yeah, prediction. Trelawney's okay, predicting that, that he's got the Grim um, in his teacup. And Harry's like, okay, I'm going to die. And I keep seeing this dog, which he later tells Ron at lunch in this chapter. And it's just, it's really disconcerting to him. The only thing that allays Harry's fears is... Um, Sib, uh, is uh, sorry, um, McGonagall um, in Transfiguration, which happens after Divination, uh, she tells them that, that Trelawney pr- predicts the death of students every year um, and it's never happened. So Harry's I mean, at I, this point, do you, do you think uh, Harry's number one concern was still not going to Hogsmeade or has it changed by this point? <laughs> I, I, just, I think I think he's more concerned about seeing the Grimm actually and I, I think um as evidenced by Hermione and Ron specifically dueling it out about this, um, in this chapter, 
Um, I don't have it in the notes, but but Hermione's like, you didn't think it was that important. You weren't ranting about Uncle Billius when you were telling Harry that his tea leaves were a sheep, you know, instead of a grim. And it's just this really, they know how Harry's feeling, but at the same time, I don't think, I, I think death is a priority. So much so that I'm really worried that Harry's a little young to be worried if he's going to die. I mean, he's 13, so... Is this a children's book? I mean, Harry is basically seeing these death <laughs> We moments. keep going back to that email. I think it's funny. But <laughs> it, it, what, uh, what's also kind of interesting here is that McGonagall basically through her, you know, creative language dismisses what Trelawney is all about. But yet, you know, in Order of the Phoenix – she actually feels terrible for the way Trelawney gets treated by Umbridge. So it's it's a little bit of a turnaround for, for McGonagall's character from where things are nice in this book and they get really bad in Order of the Phoenix. Yeah. She's got her heart in the right place. She just doesn't she doesn't like what the ministry's doing. And that's very um very apparent. So I just have um between divination and transfiguration, uh, Hermione has also gone back in time twice, which isn't mentioned, obviously. Um, but that's just—I'm trying to keep a count. Uh, so um, they get to care of magical creatures after lunch, and it's really out of loyalty. This is just a great Harry character moment. He's—he's con- he's concerned, you know. He just came from lunch. They're talking about whether or not he's going to die, and Harry sees that Hagrid's class is not going well. You know, obviously they've they've been given this monster book of monsters, which they nobody opened. Um, Hagrid's really upset. He, you know, prepared since five a.m. for this. He said before, and uh, Harry volunteers to um, to go up and and talk to Buckbeak. Slightly different than what happens in the movie. I think what happens in the movie is funny, um, but it's slightly different. You know, it's out of Harry's loyalty for Hagrid that he volunteers to uh, to go up and 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 try and get on Buckbeak. Um, I wanted to mention, because the, the, the hippogriff is, is like this fantastic beast, to say it, obviously. Um, and where to find them. And, and where to find it is this paddock. But uh, this characterization of the care of the creature of Buckbeak, how, you, how they're proud creatures, how you have to, to bow to them. Um, have you, I don't know how much fantasy ritter, literature you guys have read, but you, have, you, have you guys ever really read anything like this? Um, you know, and, and Nick, have you read anything where like there's this character that's or this animal that's characterized like this? I mean, it's just yeah, I haven't come across anything like that. No, it's quite cool. well. It is magical world. I mean, what do you expect? But characters, creatures that you have to bow to, and it's... well, the depth of the personification of these creatures, I think, is is just a testament to Joe's creativity and her writing yeah and again it goes back to the whole point that animate but also when you think about you know approaching let's say i don't know a tiger you you do it with caution and i know you can't simply just bow to it and you know be able to approach it but i think what joe's trying to get across here is this is a very powerful um creature that's high up on the food chain sort of like say a lion or a tiger and you need to show it respect and this is the way that people in the wizarding world can connect with the animal and and show it respect by bowing to it because you were because you were saying permission to approach you you know maybe there's some way we can do that with lions and tigers and bears oh, and we, we don't know that's a you know? that's a, it's true it's how you'd gain the trust of any animal that's a good point i definitely wasn't yeah. thinking about that yeah PETA, baby animal rights <laughs> <laughs> the last point then is that the the trio um they're upset with the class obviously malfoy gets injured by the hippogriff because he wasn't paying attention um and there's this big scene which i just basically skipped over because 
A, we're all familiar with it. B, I, I, I just, obviously, the, the, the aftermath is, in some ways, we'll cover it all when dealing with the aftermath. Um, so the trio, they go to Hagrid's hut after hours. They see that there's a, a light on and, and they, they go visit him. He's really drunk. Obviously, he's, a, he's scared, but Hagrid <laughs> is just really drunk, slurring speech, um, completely out of sorts. And it's interesting just because I, I you know, they, they're taking care of him and we've seen, the trio cater to him in the past, but it's just, they, they take him out back and they soak his head in a bucket. And it's just, I, I just wanted to mention, cause it's really, it's like codependent, but it's just also very interesting that this is in the book. I mean, it's, it's, well, to, you, know. you know, we see it in the Half-Blood Prince film. Why didn't we see Drunk Hagrid in the Prisoner of Azkaban film? You what changed? Was it a time issue? <laughs> too the, soon. The, I it's guess. too soon. There was no way to work a shrunken head into the into Hagrid's hut. That just would have been too much. Yeah, maybe. I don't know. But now I'm wishing. Now I want to watch Half Blood Prince tonight because I want to see a drunk Hagrid <laughs> drunk again. Hagrid. Yeah, but he's drunk really early on. I mean, these are thirteen year olds. Obviously, he wasn't planning on being visited, but still. And and he does jump to the uh, the parental um, guidance side of him when he he comes to after dunking his head in water and sends them immediately back up to their dormitories because they're out after hours. Um, yeah. But so, but this really begins uh, with with Draco, sort of his uh, series of, of trying to get Hagrid into trouble. And if it wasn't a hippogriff, it would have ended up being some other creature that Draco tried to taunt in order to make Hagrid look bad. Well, it was Norbert, too. I mean, in, in book one. It, it's just Draco doesn't like Hagrid, half-breeds. He's been raised to, to believe that they're less human. So there we go. Four through six of Prisoner of Azkaban. Boy, that was that was one of our longest chapter by chapter segments, I think. But you know, There's we got a lot away of material. From, there is a lot of material, absolutely. Um, we got away from quote quiz last week, and maybe even the episode before that. So quote quiz, quiz, quiz. It's a difficult one. Um, you guys will all be challenged. Ridiculous. That's quote quiz. Who everyone? said it? Um, everyone. <laughs> <laughs> everyone except Harry. Um, that's why. Yes, that's why it's a challenge. But but good good catch, guys. I thought I had you fooled. Not the Mugglecasters. It's time now for this week in Mugglecast history. We went all the way back to episode twenty-eight, February nineteenth, two thousand and six. Our main discussion was um, uh, Professor McGonagall, and. Good old Laura Thompson, and, and Kevin makes an appearance too, Kevin Seck, we all remember Kevin Seck. Um, they have some uh, speculating to do, and it's pretty funny, take a listen. Absolutely, could have bonded together. Well, that could go um, straight into the whole theory, you know, do Dumbledore and McGonagall, did they have some sort of romantic interest in one another? Oh no, oh, I, doubt. I doubt it too. I don't think so, but I know a lot of people like pairing it was an office it was an office relationship no. yeah, I, think so too. <laughs> I don't think so no yeah but i've actually seen quite a few fan fictions on that topic wow okay now what <laughs> let's get off that topic very fast rachel is blown away oh, she yeah. can't imagine it so uh, what have we seen from her in terms of magical ability there's a little moment there from episode 28. Kevin Steck. <laughs> Laura- yeah, I know. It was funny. Laura was so, like, afraid to bring it up. Like, she was like, 
are they possibly in a relationship? <laughs> and boy, if we only knew then. What, what, what do we know now? We know that Dumbledore is gay, so they would definitely not be together. Oh, yes, of course. <laughs> Crap. Yeah. I just, I have to forget that. Um, something else we haven't done in a while here on MuggleCast, and to wrap up the show today, Chicken Soup for the MuggleCast Soul. This one comes from Amy22 of Cardiff, Wales. Cardiff, Wales? How do you pronounce that, Nick? Cardiff. Yes, thank you. I just wanted all you guys to know how much you have helped me ever since you began, but especially in the recent months. Last year, I took a gap year from my degree because I wasn't enjoying it. I had a fabulous time away, but last September, it was my time. It was time for me to return and finish the final year of my course. My university is in Cardiff, but my home is 183 miles away, and it takes me nearly six hours to get home. All my friends who I was at university with graduated last year, and I now know no one. I'm very lonely and not enjoying my course. Listening to you guys reminds me of better, happier times and feels like I have friends around me. It means a lot, and I know you have touched many others around the world in the same way. Thank you, and keep it up, dot, 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 for my sanity, Amy. Well, Amy, uh, glad to hear that the show's helping you out. MuggleNet's been a constant in many of our lives, I'd like to think. But before we wrap up the show today, we have a couple announcements. Don't forget to vote for us on Podcast Alley. We ask you every week or every episode, and we do appreciate it. We're in the middle of Fugglecast February, and uh, as we, as I can see right now, we're not on the top ten list. So if you could go to PodcastAlley.com and vote for us, we would greatly appreciate that. Also, Infinitus 2010, the website in Infinitus it is... The website is infinitus2010.org, and the location is Orlando, Florida, from July 15th to the 18th of this year. They just announced that there is going to be a party in the park exclusively for Infinitus attendees. So that means the the Harry Potter theme park is going to close down, and they're only going to let in Infinitus attendees in a special night party. So, in other words, it's going to be the biggest Harry Potter fans all together at one giant Harry Potter party in the Harry Potter theme park. I mean, I don't know how how much better it could get than that. <laughs> and I was thinking that, you know, we should get all the MuggleCast listeners together and, and do a sort of, um, like, we can all ride on the rides together. <laughs> so, go to infinitus2010.org to learn more details and to register. We're going to be doing a MuggleCast there. It's going to be a lot of fun. And finally today, I would just like to plug something. You guys are going to laugh at me. I'm sure you're looking at it in the Google Doc right now and wondering what's going on. But I am starting a Lady Gaga fan site. And it's called the Gaga... <laughs> Matt just laughed at me. <laughs> it's called the GagaBeat.com. It's your all-around ultimate fan site for Lady Gaga. And like Harry Potter and Twilight, Lady Gaga is a phenomenon. So I wanted to jump in on this, too, and I'm doing it with a couple friends, and it's going to be a lot of fun. So again, visit thegagabeat.com if you're a Lady Gaga fan. And uh, I think it's going to be a lot of fun to run a uh, Lady Gaga fan site. I know you all think I'm crazy, but you know what? I don't care. I do a Harry Potter podcast. What can I say? Let me know if you need a a Gaga caption contest. <laughs> I think we would need one with all the crazy costumes she wears, so maybe I'll take you up on that. 
Anyway, thanks everyone for listening. It's been a very full show, but a very fun show. Uh, we want to remind you all again that MuggleCast.com is the website where you can get all the information you need pertaining to the show. You can follow us on Twitter, fan us on Facebook. You can email us through MuggleCast.com too. That's how we get all your feedback that we read here on the show each and every week. Thanks again, everyone, for listening. I'm Andrew Sims. I'm Eric Skull. I'm Mike Tannenbaum. And I'm Nick Myers. We'll see you next time for episode 193. Bye-bye. Bye. 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 Bye.